I offer this message this morning as a word of great encouragement to many of you. I offer it as a challenge to a few of you. I hope that for many you're encouraged and challenged at the same time. But over the last week I have become very acutely aware that there are many, many needs of many, many kinds within this church and throughout this community right now. I'm so grateful that I could be there on the morning after WH had passed away to support and encourage and to give help where I could to Helen and her family after he was gone. To be with Robert and Joanne for just a few minutes this past weekend. To be able to be with Max and Debbie as the service for his dad yesterday morning and for Danny's willingness to show for us there and, and back. Many of these issues are minor and are very well managed. Some of them are extremely difficult and they cause great despair and discouragement to to individuals and to families. And I often feel like the challenges are coming faster and faster and sometimes fast as they, they can't be handled. But I watch many of you reach out with your hands to help and open your hearts to give and extend your arms to hold. And I know that what seems to overwhelm one can't overwhelm this church. Can't overwhelm the provision of God and what he has established. And I'd like to just begin this morning by commending a few things, recognizing a few things. And it's such a partial list. But I'd like to commend and thank those who came on uh, Friday morning and helped build that ramp at Robert and Joanne's. We just had an amazing time. For some brought us drinks and some brought us food and some came to help, but it was just an amazing morning to be able to minister to them in that way. I thank you and commend you for your willingness to do the work and to be there to help. I commend and thank those of you who work the, these funerals and provide the meals. We're here on, on Friday afternoon for the Hogue family. For many of them, this was homecoming. They've, many of them have moved away. And for them to come back into this church was like coming home. And I just thank you for your warm hearts and your, and your hands that were willing to come and minister to that family on Friday afternoon. And I know the same thing will happen tomorrow afternoon with the, with the Ellison family. I, I commend those offered help for John and his new treatment. We ask that you would support him for six months and the amount of money that was given would support him for over a year. And I just appreciate so much your willingness to just stand with John and Laverne and to extend your hands and your hearts to them and to give to them the way that you did. I thank you for taking hundreds and hundreds of meals to families in these times of difficulty and times of need. You just offer and you give and you give freely and abundantly. I can add to the list for those of you who gave to finish the orphanage in Kenya so that that work could be complete, the last $36,000 that needed to be given. I thank you and commend you, those of, of this church who helped by Nick, the pastor in Mexico, a car this year to gave support to, to missions and the outreach into Mexico in 2014. For those of you who gave money to pay for funerals, to pay for hospital bills, school supplies, utility bills, and all the many other things that happen around this church and around this body and throughout this community because you have hearts that love well, you reach well, you touch others' lives very well, 
and I commend you for it. And it would be very easy for me to stop right there, but you know you pay me for getting us there, but you also pay me for what comes after. So I say all that, and then, then there's this strange conjunction, but, and here comes the rest of the sermon. You're not going to get off with just being commended. You would be truly disappointed in me if I stopped right there. I want us to go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and look at a couple of verses. Matthew 9, beginning with verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, when he saw the enormity of what was before him, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The word that's used for compassion here is, is a Greek word that I can't pronounce, but it's the strongest word for pity that's used in the Greek language. And it describes the compassion that moves someone to the, the, to the depths of their being. It's not just being aware of something. It was a compassion that, would, that moved Jesus to the depth of his being. And I find it interesting in the next verses as he says, the harvest is plentiful. He says, pray. This is Jesus telling us, instructing us in them then and us now. This is God telling us to pray to his father that the harvesters will come and that the workers will come. And Jesus here is moved with what he's seeing, moved with the enormity of the need and the size of the challenge that's before him. The state of the things that were before him looked like this. A neglected flock of sheep and a harvest going to waste for the lack of pickers. Two things that are held within these verses. There's a flock of sheep that badly need the shepherd, that badly need tending to. Both imply the plot of then and also very much the plot of many today. The sad reality is that for many, they live in anguish or brokenness or fear, yet it never seems to be realized by the people around them. I heard this story, and this is some of what prompted this message. This story moved me of a pastor talking about two people, an older man and a woman who came to his church. And they sat there, were in the service, and sat there quietly, went home and had lunch. And they didn't clean up after lunch. This old man and this old woman had made a decision that at that point of that day that they were so tired, they were so weary, in agreement, ended both of them's life. And the pastor said the tragedy was that nobody in the church slowed down long enough, listened carefully enough, patient enough to recognize the broken hearts that were right there that ended that way. I wanted to start this morning by commending you because you are a remarkable church. This isn't criticism. This isn't, this isn't a heaviness that's being brought on you. Jesus made a request. Because of the enormity, because of the multitudes that he saw, he said, these people need a shepherd. We understand that Jesus was talking about himself. We know that Jesus is that shepherd. We're not confused by that. But we're also not confused by this reality that where does that shepherd live? The one who cares for this flock. The one who can recognize the needs. See beyond their words. Understand the brokenness of their hearts. Bring the healing from the stress and the situations of their life. 
Where does that good shepherd now live? He lives in me. He he lives in you. So I look out into the faces of a congregation full of good shepherds. God is calling us, asking us, putting a request before us. Will you shepherd the person to your right? Will you shepherd the person to your left? Will you slow down long enough? Move slowly enough. Be attentive enough to recognize that someone near you has a broken heart. Someone near you is in anguish and just needs for someone to say, are you doing okay? To just ask. We move quickly and we know why we do. We're very busy, not for a lack of desire. But I want to call your attention to Jesus' request. His understanding that these people need a shepherd. And he wasn't just talking about him. He was talking about the fact that I'm going to send me to live in you so that I can use your hands, I can use your ears, I can use your feet, I can use your heart to love them with, I can use your eyes to see them, can use your mouth to talk to them, because they need the good shepherd. And we live in a situation where people have come into church for years and years and years and they carry a burden and can't seem to find a place or a person to help them carry it. You know, I teach the indwelling Christ. I teach the reality of Christ in us. I used this illustration several years ago. I made little pieces of paper, and I handed them out, and I said, as I read this story, I want you to tell me who in the story you most carefully or closely associate with. Begin to read the story of Lazarus in the tomb, and Jesus coming to the tomb and saying, Lazarus, come forth. And so I said, okay, now that I've read read the story, I want you to put down, who do you associate with? Who do you connect with? And there were many Marys, and there were many Marthas. There were some who were the mourners. There were others who were cast members in this story, and and all these were written down. After I looked at all of them and called them all out, there was something very strange about that answer, because not a single person sitting here on that Sunday night said, the person I most closely associate with is Jesus. Every one of us in here who understand the reality of our relationship with Jesus Christ and that he is our savior and that he has equipped us as able ministers of the New Testament church. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we are made able ministers by his work, by his power. We are made able ministers because he put himself in us. Every one of us should have in that story recognized that we were Jesus in that story. We are the ones who've been given the authority of heaven to say, Lazarus come forth, to the brokenhearted be healed, to the sinner be forgiven. We have that authority that's now placed in us. We are Jesus in this story. We are the good shepherd. Everything we do should certainly point to the one who is the good shepherd. But he's given us the capacity within ourselves to receive him so that every day these hands become the hands of a shepherd to hold the flock. This is the voice of a shepherd to call the sheep home, to lead and to guide and to to protect them from any enemy. These are the feet of a shepherd who go to find those whose hearts are broken, who are living in anguish. I can tell you this morning, God's calling you. He's asked you to be a shepherd. Shepherd your family. Shepherd this flock. From the least to the greatest, he's called you to be a shepherd. Did you notice how many young men it took, how many children it took to finish the circle? Everyone a shepherd. 
Everyone has the capacity to shepherd some size of a flock, to love and listen to the people around them. I just ask you this morning, at the end of this service, to recognize that God's called you to be a shepherd. Let it start right now. Just listen for a minute to the people around you. Talk to them. Shake their hand. Hug them if they need it. Tell them that you're thinking about them. Tell them that you'll pray for them. Tell them that they matter. It's just shepherding a flock. It's very simple things. But somebody knows that I came to church and I mattered and made a difference. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that we would receive this word this morning. This church and this community need many shepherds. Lord, we know that many families feel very alone, feel very lost and very separated. They don't even know, Lord, where to go. But the shepherds do. The shepherds have a voice to call the sheep home. And I pray, Lord, that the shepherds of this church would rise out of this body. That the voices would be heard. The love would be felt. The kindness shown. And that this community would be called home. Back to a place of communion. Back to a place of unity. Back to a place of prayer and praise. Back to a place of worship and kindness. No judgment. Just love in its place. I thank you, Lord, this morning. That the shepherds are already here. I pray, Lord, though, that we would also be attentive to the spiritual needs of this community. The physical needs, Lord, we see, but let us be as fully aware of the spiritual needs within this church and this community as well. In Jesus' name, amen.